My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. Today, we are going to be discussing episode two of Secret Invasion. We are going to be discussing... The biggest piece of superhero-related casting news, and probably since like Ben Affleck as Batman, I think. No, well, no maybe, maybe like uh, a lot of Marvel casting, since like then. Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I'd Tom say Holland as Spider-Man. Um, man, I'm just trying to think. Shang Chi is recent. Eternals is recent. But like, this is like another caliber, like a character that your dad and mom knows, right. even if they don't follow this right. shit. Right. Actually, I texted my dad, who is allegedly him and my mom are huge, uh, marvelous miss Maisel fans <laughs> and i texted him i was like dad guess what the chick from that show has been cast as the new lowest lady my dad is a huge superman guy and in classic Sweet. dad fashion he just responds saying cool that's exactly i haven't even told my dad like i said he's in another fucking part of the planet right now so he may not even have internet i don't know if he knows what's going on so yeah i mean definitely actually you know what probably since pattinson yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. so. There you yeah. go. So we'll talk about that. I actually think that that might take up most of today's show, to be honest. But before sure. that, I had the pleasure of seeing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 this week. Review embargo is July 5th. The social embargo, social reaction has already been lifted, so I could speak to it a bit. But before I go on my sort of uh, somewhat short-winded reaction to it, Kate, I mean, where does this rank for you in terms of summer hype? Is it... I'm going to guess that you are Oppenheimer, this, and then Barbie. Yeah, it's it. Mission Impossible may beat out Oppenheimer. Like, but again, I'm traveling across the country to see Oppenheimer. Right, exactly. Exactly. Now, do you think that that's because, like, it's a Nolan film? Like, what, like, or did you, like, talk yourself into the situation? Like, why is this the movie that you're. Going to New York for the for, first yeah. time ever for you. <laughs> uh, my friend just on a whim was like, hey, you want to see Oppenheimer? I was like, yeah. And he's like, I live in you know New York and we have a great 70 millimeter theater for this. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you want to come? You can stay with me. I was like, all right, fuck well, it. But is there another <laughs> film that you would consider doing that for? Or is that the rare kind of Honestly, case? like it would probably have to be a Christopher Nolan movie. The only other movie we talked about another opportunity would be Dune 2. Mm. I think like, that's probably not in 70 millimeter, but like the IMAX, you know, you want to see that on the best possible right. screen you can possibly get. So that's the only po- possible other movie, I think. Otherwise, I think, yeah, like definitely you want to see, because I'm still debating whether I, I will see Oppenheimer before I go, because I'm going to go a week after it comes out. Oh, and wow. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to really, because I mean, I, for this show, will I have to talk about I it? I mean, <laughs> I would say, obviously, like, you enjoying your life to the fullest comes <laughs> comes above the priority of this show. Yeah. So that's how you want to do it, by all means. I will just say that, like, going to New York and seeing that film there is going to be an event for you regardless. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be lessened all that much if you've already seen it, especially sure. if you fucking love it and can't yeah. wait to re-see it. Yeah. 
Like, I think you will, like, yes, of course, it would be sick to see it there for the first time, but yeah. I don't think it's going to hinder your enjoyment of the trip. Yeah, we have we have a great IMAX theater here. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'm going to, it'll probably be a thing where I don't see it opening day. And that the closer I get to having to go on my trip, I'll be like, uh, I might yeah. see it today. I know a whole week is a long time. If it was like yeah. three days, if it was like a Friday yeah. to like a Monday, you could pull it off, but a week yeah. is a long time. Yeah. So, and then I want to ask, when did you get MI pilled? Like, were you on board with Fallout as a teenager? Is it just in the last few years? I'm trying to gauge how long you've been hyped for this film which began shooting it's crazy how fast yes. time is going but it began shooting in 2020 yeah. and like we remember the stories of tom cruise being like the whole fucking industry is depending on us get your shit and together he's right <laughs> and he was right and now here he is so i think the combination of that the combination of him blowing people's fucking minds with top gun and this has been building for a few years which is a a weight that most films would crumble under and this one does not so before i get going i would just like to hear how long this franchise has been in your life and what it means to you in the general context of big budget franchises. Yeah. Uh, I'll have two questions for you and we can, we can come back around to those after your thoughts. But um, the, the franchise has always been like looming. Like I would say I watched the first movie in a hospital. Cause you're 22 <laughs> now. Right. So the yep. first one came out when you're 17 years old, you're a different man. Now you're literally a different person. Whereas like I was 25. So I'm more or less yeah. the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mission Impossible has always been a part of my life, I would say, in some capacity, because even like as a kid, I remember like they were like, you know, like cartoons would spoof the fucking the song. Uh, yeah. The song and the oh, scene the where he comes down from the ceiling and all that stuff. And then I would say, yeah, I watched the first one in the hospital when I was really young, like probably like eight or nine, maybe even younger than that. And then it, and then I uh, I didn't really like retain it i think but then right, because I, the first is probably the not quite densest but self-serious and less accessible of all of them i would say so yeah and then i never really got around two until much 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 later i watched three probably oh my god i might have been like 15 16 years old and i was like oh yeah this fucking bangs and then i, I i've all i watched them all out of order and but i remember in the lead up to fallout was when i was like i'm on board with this franchise for sure and uh yeah fallout was definitely the one where i was like i'm going to dedicate my life to enjoying these movies because <laughs> they're fucking awesome as as i got older and becoming more aware of tom cruise and how movies are made especially right. just any movie but especially tom cruise movies his role as a producer on these movies and what he did to be like I'm going to become a producer so I can risk my life for these movies. And then just having that newfound appreciation and learning, you know, like I, I was reading about it last night. I was like, why the fuck did Brad Bird make one of these movies? A guy who's only ever made animation movies. Which one did he do? The fourth one? Yes. Yeah, right. It was like so bizarre. And I was just like, why did he make well, a no, Mission he's also movie? done... I mean, this was after. But after, yes. He did uh, Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland which yeah. Is, yeah. Okay, never mind. So yeah. I was just like, it was so weird, like going from the Iron Giant, the Incredibles, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible. Like, yeah. why was that the guy that Tom Cruise went to? And so, like, there's so many fascinating stories behind this franchise. And I think they're just as rich as the movies themselves. Yeah. So what I was going to say is for you, it's like Spider-Man number one, right? Can you In even- terms of interest? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Could you quantify what comes next? Does MI rank in the top five for you at all? Because I think that post Fallout, at least for me, like, you know, 
outside of the Marvel DC type things, which have been denigrating interest over the last few years. Yeah. I struggle to think, you know, outside of being hyped for the next Mad Max film, I struggle to think of a live action franchise that is as culturally relevant as this one. Yeah, I I mean, I, I would say like top five like franchises I'm like really like riveted by in terms of movies would be Spider-Man, James Bond. Oh, okay. Yeah, Batman. Mm. And then Mission Impossible, somewhere in the last two. I don't know what else is in there, but those those are probably yeah. all in there. And then just real quick, I don't have notes on this, so I'm not going to expand on it. But it's so funny to think about the dichotomy between these films and the Fast films and how they yeah. both originated at the same time i think mission impossible one was 97 fast as 01 so there's a little bit of a gap but yeah uh in terms of filmmaking generation it's the same yeah and you think about it and both of them have essentially done the bigger and more is better theology but the fast films have completely abandoned any sense of Gravitas, I want to say, whereas the MI films have found a way to make these movies increasingly preposterous, but still maintain a sense of seriousness. So with that, I want to get into my thoughts on this film. The question is likely, is it as good or better than Fallout? Which I think, frankly, is unfair because that's like asking a Batman film to live up to the Dark Knight or a matrix film to live up to the first one and just because a movie exists in the same franchise as as a genre standard setting film doesn't mean it has to live up to that in order for it to be successful i think that that's where this film finds itself whereas like if fallout didn't exist there would be nothing containing the utter excitement and glee that people feel when they watch this that is the only bar in which you could detract from this tonally it's the darkest mi film perhaps except anything that philip seymour hoffman did in three and it's darkest in terms of like what ethan hunt's psychology is at the time what he goes through over the course of the film but also the threat that the villain poses which i find in these the plots are kind of complicated and the villains are often very similar but this one does something a bit different that has enough real world which i'm sure you've heard ai is the villain and that has an extremely relevant tone right now i like the idea of tom cruise fighting ai just like not an actual person just like fighting the ether well so (laughs) In addition to being the darkest, it's also the funniest MI film. And I think where that sense of humor comes from is where is this movie's confidence in itself? As if everyone involved in the entire production knew that the culture has spent the last five years calling Fallout an all-time great action film. Mm -hmm. And that allows its confidence in itself, allows it to loosen up and not take itself so seriously to such an extent that it's actually a self-deprecating film there are multiple almost slapstick gags there are jokes about how ethan hunt is seemingly unkillable so it is poking fun at itself but it's also taking itself super seriously right you get the credits dropping 30 minutes into the film which is the ultimate sign of a movie that has complete confidence in itself yeah And that is what I think makes this an incredible action spectacle is that it combines those two things. It pokes fun at itself, the IMF, Ethan Hunt, but it's also able to make the 
if you choose to accept scene, incredibly dramatic and gravitas filled. I love that. Those and scenes when you're are able fucking to awesome. sort of, And when you're able to balance those two things, if this is the most serious thing in the world, but also the dumbest shit ever, and we're being sold on both, you're making fucking movie magic there. And then finally, some random notes that I have. Palm Clementine is basically doing a riff on Heath Ledger's Joker, which, okay, cool. Uh, I saw this in Dolby, which had the vibrating chairs. So I'm just here to tell you, Dolby greater than IMAX. Um, <laughs> Ethan Hunt we don't have fa- Dolby here, believe it or not. Ethan Hunt falls in love way too much. <laughs> Why are the plots of these films always so complicated? The train set piece is incredibly creative. And there's a major, major, major choice in this, despite all the good things that I just said about it that I fucking hate. I'm really excited to see what that is because uh, you said I that think, on Twitter too. Yeah, I mean, I think as uh, I, I think as soon as you'll see it, you'll know. Questions so I have a couple, coming. yeah, a couple questions. Um, how is the? I don't, I remember his name. How's the guy who's the villain? So he's the guy from Ozark, and yes, that's right. He's a compelling performer, but he's essentially a surrogate for this AI, right? Yeah. But they do this thing, which is like movie bullshit they tie him to hunt's past okay yeah i got and they, I so so they could drop the classic villain hero good to see you again old friend yeah, yeah. so it's like but that's what these movies are they're cliche and corny to a to a to a purposeful fault it's it's so interesting when you say that because like he's when you see him he looks about the same age as tom cruise but and, and then real Holt quick was gonna play him well, right. That's what I was going to say. That's, That's so what weird. makes it weird. A 30-year-old, younger, different race. Maybe they rewrote the character then. Well, the reports are that Tom Cruise liked Holt's tryout for Maverick yeah. so much that he was his top choice to play the villain in these films, which I can't help but find to be more compelling. And we'll get to Holt in a bit. So. <laughs> the only other question, or I have two more questions real quick. Uh, I feel like the Christopher McQuarrie movies, and he's fucking doing a bang up job on these, have strayed more and more away from the like secret agent techie stuff. You remember in like Ghost Protocol when they had like the projector little yeah, thing, right. and then and then three had the um, you know, like they did the mask thing where they had to play up as C- Philip Seymour Hoffman and like do the double thing. And like, there's a lot more of that in those movies. And I feel like as time has gone on, they've kind of split away from that and just leaned more into big stunts. Yeah. It's like, so they still do the mask thing, but, and I will say actually the first set piece is more of a tension thriller piece than a Wait. running blowing up piece. So that is kind of the counterpoint to what you're saying. Yeah. We're in like, it might, it is actually kind of techie. So that complaint that you have or note that you have, I think you will have satisfied within the first hour. Great. That's yeah, that's awesome. Because do you agree that they've kind of strayed away from that in the last two? Yes. Well, so basically I put out a tweet this week that was just like describing my one sentence thoughts when you watch these films. And it's one, it's like, oh, cool. They're the USA's MI6. Nice. And then two, it's like you're huffing straight early 2000s action film paint and then three it's like yo philip seymour hoffman is fucking going for it Mm -hmm. and then four is like by the way these are epics now Mm -hmm. and then five is becca ferguson is the greatest film star on earth and then six is oh so they've made the perfect film here and 
what you're pointing out is my top thought from four is where they made that switch of like being an in the shadows born esque entity and being a more like not James Bondy and traveling sure. the globe, blowing up buildings and stuff. Right. Yeah. And the, the last question I have is uh, this has been a, a hot topic. I think especially this year with movies being part ones or whatever. Uh, how do you feel about this being its own movie and you know in terms of does it leave you on a huge cliffhanger that's not satisfying in terms of an arc for the movie or or what um i think i think the cliffhanger is to a degree smartly dulled it doesn't feel like a tune in next time sure it feels like it comes to a natural conclusion wherein the story is not quite yet done so the, the yeah. benefit that this one has is this one will definitely be out next summer. Mm-hmm. And let, well, I mean, I don't know with writer strikes and stuff that may fuck them in some well, way. This is that one's been written for years though. Yeah. But they, they, they've, I think Christopher McQuarrie said they're not doing anything on the second one right now because they, 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 they oh. well, they do like story stuff in post. So it's like a weird fucking gray area. I don't know, but uh, yeah, like, because that that is at least shot in some capacity. But, like, Spider-Verse, I mean, all the reports are like, this movie's not coming out next year. And then yeah. Fast X isn't coming out until 2025. Uh, well, I think both of those are significantly further back in their production cycles than, yeah. than this one. Exactly. Because uh, I was listening to Simon Pegg on Smartless, and he said they basically paused production right now to go on their press right. tour for a month, and then we'll jump right back in. Interesting. Well, then there's a saga after strike on right, Saturday. Yeah. That could happen. Right, right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right, let's swing over to the big DC news of the week, and that is Superman Legacy casting its two main, well, uh, the DCU casting two of its main roles. We have David Cornsweet as Clark Kent slash Superman. His credits include House of Cards, We Own the City, and Pearl. He's also set to star in the upcoming sequel to Twister and the Natalie Portman starring Apple TV Plus series Lady in the Lake. And then we have Rachel Brosnahan as Lois Lane. She, of course, is the Emmy-winning actress from the Prime video series The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which actually just concluded this spring and has also appeared in House of Cards and other projects such as The Finest Hours, Patriot's Day, Courier, and a bevy of episode-long stints on various TV shows. And then finally, reports indicate that Alexander and Bill Skarsgård are both on the shortlist to play Lex Luthor, which is a shortlist that could also include Nicholas Holtz, if he's still up for it. Cade, you've been pretty vocal about the castings on Twitter. You were excited to see that Corin Sweat got the role, so go ahead first. Yeah, I mean, there's been clips kind of going around, because a lot of people... The first observation a lot of people made is like, I don't know who this is. And someone said, this guy doesn't even have a picture on his Wikipedia page. Like, that's like, not that he's necessarily a nobody. Which I think is a good thing. I'm fine. Yeah, I no, absolutely. Yeah. And they said that as a positive. They're like, this isn't someone you have like any, you know, when you think of someone like, that was perfect for Tom Holland, right? You didn't know who the fuck Tom Holland was when you watched him. So like, that's just Peter Parker. You know, even it's to a lesser degree. 
well, I guess the better comparison would be Robert Pattinson had Twilight in his, on his you know resume. And so people were like, that's Edward Cullen. And as opposed to that's Batman, this guy can just come in here and just be Superman and you won't question it, which is amazing. And um, I, I think that's having a lesser known person play such a monumental role also probably speaks to the confidence they must have in him. Right. Because if Warner brothers, I mean, as far as I understand the reports were James Gunn and Peter Safran did not tell Warner brothers the way they were leaning. They're like, let's just hear what you have to say. And then we'll discuss. Cause we don't want to sway you. So that definitely means that Warner brothers was even impressed. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he looks like in the costume. I, I really want to see what kind of costume they're going for. Cause I don't, I don't think we're going to get the dodgeball. Yeah. yeah, textured, look. yeah. It's going to be but more I, like clothy, but yeah, I don't know how clothy it'll be. Cause I think the, uh, the, the Superman returns suit is pretty good uh, for the most part. I just hate the red trousers. I can't. I, yeah. I I'll be interested to see if they, I feel like James Gunn's the kind of guy that will keep No, it. James Gunn's the kind of guy who would make a joke about it in the film probably yeah he would be like here's my suit oh i left my underwear and on. before <laughs> it, it escapes my brain let me just say why james gunn directing this film concerns me oh okay he's proven to be a master at drawing emotion out of outsiders which superman undoubtedly is absolutely but here's what we're kind of missing is that those films are all ensembles and team ups. Mm -hmm. So in those non-dramatic moments, right? So let's let's forget the third acts of his last four comic book films, right? And just focus on the first two acts. The richness, the quality of those moments, those scenes, those acts come from these characters bouncing off each other and having a sort of like a backboard to bounce sure. off each other with. And so then you get half the film being like a funny team up comedy, but the other being like a deeply emotional story. I don't have any proof that James Gunn, and I'm saying this now because I had this thought before I went to bed last night and I was like, don't forget, don't forget. And it just popped up. I don't have any proof that James Gunn knows what to do with the quiet moments when it's just one person. You could point out the, you know, the quill, um, the quill and his dad, uh, what the, yeah, hell? uh, the quill and Yandu scene in oh, yeah. Guardians 2, but aren't all of them on the mic and interjecting throughout that scene? I just, I am curious to see how James Gunn retrofits his tone to where he has like a, a like a literal country bumpkin rubbing up against city dwellers not not no 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 <laughs> just just extreme circumstances whether it be his sure. first time working for a paper or aliens from mars without the sort of sidekick there to bounce his feelings off of so that is my lone concern i i would say even like in guardians like the very first scene of the first movie is a child losing his mother and it's very yeah but very that's not sad. hard to i mean a child losing his <laughs> mom to cancer is not is not yeah. exactly going for the fences <laughs> um that's that's very fair um I, yeah I, I guess i don't know um it's but i i mean a lot of the <clears throat> emotional core of superman comes from his family with pa kent you know people like that and sure and I think, and I, guess, and I think that that's a great point. What he decides to do with the family, I think, is a huge absolutely because we already know this isn't 
an origin, right? This is like, going to take place after Superman's at least existed so in some it, capacity. It, but is that assumed that Pa Kent is dead? You know I, what it, I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, like that typically, historically, that's how it goes. Pa Kent dies when Superman's pretty young. Uh, but I guess that doesn't have to happen. Or, you know, there's always the possibility of flashbacks. That's kind of how Man of Steel did it was, you know, there were flashbacks throughout Clark's life of moments where Pa Kent gave his motivational speeches and whatnot um but either way his mom will still probably be there um yeah but yeah I, I'm those very... castings are gonna be you know i That's say exactly with it. man of steel if you look at that supporting cast kevin amy Costner's adams La- lawrence fishburne <laughs> russell crowe kevin costner is that diane lane diane lane it's just through the roof so he needs to get all of those equally as well yeah, they they had Doug Stamper from House of Cards. I always love seeing yep, him pop yep. up and stuff. I was just gonna say that bald dude who always yeah. plays a dick. Um, <laughs> but let's get back on track here yeah. to the castings themselves. Have you seen either of them in anything? Because hand to God, I have not. I've seen him in Pearl, mm-hmm. um, and I've I've watched House of Cards, but I don't remember either of them in it. Uh, I would I guess I'd probably have to go back and watch the episode, and I probably I probably remember they don't stand out probably in supporting roles but I, they're very beautiful people <laughs> like yeah uh, right? i imagine when you put them front and center in front of a camera they're going to shine and they're going to have their moment to stand out i've never watched marvelous miss mazel but <clears throat> i hear it's fucking great everyone loves it um yeah <laughs> and i i remember really liking him in pearl he is uh, not a minor role he's probably second or third most important character in that movie and he's he's very charming in it um but yeah, I mean, he, people have already pointed out they have like a significant height difference between them. Yeah, which I, think I think it's a whole is, foot. Yeah, it's like crazy. So like, that's great. They're probably gonna have like intense chemistry. Um, apparently her tape that she sent in was like the best out of anyone, not just for Lois Lane, but for Clark Kent too. But does that so. surprise you at all? Knowing like the pedigree? And that's why I, I don't think- know her. So. Well, she's an Emmy-winning actress, like just by, by that alone. Who like, leads a show? Holt and stuff in there, you know. So and that's why I think this casting is fascinating, right? Because I told you I wanted Holt yeah. because historically, certainly since the first two Reeves films, Superman has been a difficult character to make connect with the audience. So my thought was, okay, do something slightly left or right of center and spin it a little, little bit just to make it a bit fresher. Now you looked at Corn Sweat and I had told you I wanted to be Hole and Mackie, but if you look at them, it's going to be Corn Sweat and Mackie. Now, because I thought that they were they were going straight looks. I was half right. They went mm. Corn Sweat because the looks. I have a hard time believing that he's a better performer than Holt is. But they went the other direction with Lois Lane. Not to say that Brosnahan is not gorgeous because she is, but she is clearly the acting pedigree choice of the sure. three, where I thought that Corn Sweat was the clear looks choice. So I think that that actually bodes well for like sort of Lois Lane being the smarter, better of the two. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that kind of would make sense. So I'm on board with it. Despite what I said about James Gunn, I do have faith in him. I'm just not trying to blindly sign a check. Right. Uh, and then as for Lex Luthor, you know, I feel like Alexander Skarsgård feels like obvious choice, but that's probably succession recency bias where he's playing like a tech ego maniac. Right. But it's hard not to root for Holt at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, I really, 
I think he's a great actor, and I've already told you, he's got this weird little look to him that I think probably takes him out of the running for Superman, but it's an immediate, like, yes for Lex Luthor for me. Like, but it's funny because he, when he when he went up for Batman, I was like, I, no. I, you didn't I see it? No. But for Superman, the blue eye, it's just like, you just got to have a soft face and blue eyes, really, for me. I don't see, I, uh, that's so funny you say that, because I'm like, I don't even think he has a soft face. There's something about him that's like... You, you look like it came out of an alley. <laughs> and that's not, to, I'm not being mean to Nicholas Holt. He's, he's a very handsome man, but um, there, there is just like a, a, a different kind of texture to him that I don't see in, in a farm boy that, you know, like I, people keep comparing uh, David to uh, Henry Cavill. I see him a lot more as uh, Tom Welling from Smallville. In what sense? He just he has that look to him. Uh, they they look way more similar, I think, those two than him to Henry Cavill. I see the resemblance to Henry Cavill too. They all look like fucking Superman, so of course. No. <laughs> but that's such um, a stupid complaint. It's bizarre. Um, they don't act the same. Like I don't know if you've looked at any clips that David. Well, that, I saw that one that you shared where it's like, all right, great, but I'm sure earnestness is one sure. of the easiest yeah. things to act. It's not. That's not. That, the like oh this is the only guy that can play it but it's like he has the juice for right. clark kent right? right yeah and then um you know we'll see i i I would love to know just like what they read when they were screen mm. testing was it both superman and clark kent well because i remember they did he, they did they yes did. on they did uh, let's call it saturday they had them screen test as lois and clark and like a daily planet-esque setting okay. and on day two the actors were in costume okay because I, I was gonna bring up the uh the... but they only brought back mackie to screen test with them in costume which led a lot of people huh. myself included to thinking that she had gotten the role interesting so yeah the uh i was just thinking about like the the batman begins screen tests you've seen those i'm yeah, sure yeah, where yeah. they had all the actors play bruce wayne and then they had them in the batman costume um yeah, I don't I don't totally know um, what the look of him as Superman will be in terms of can he have that gravitas where he can be a little like, well, that's not one thing, but that's one thing I'm saying. There is no evidence that this guy can lead a film, which could be said at Cavill at the time. But there is an inherent gamble to it, whereas like Holt, he was in the X-Men films. He's he's starred in things before. So he was more of a safe bet in that mm-hmm. regard. Uh, and then thoughts on Lex? Do you have a choice or? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Holt for it. Um, but it, I wonder if anyone, like, were they seriously looking at anybody before Nicholas Holt? Because it sounded like they were just focused on Superman, Lois Lane, let's get that out of the way. And then we can start figuring out. But we have this other guy that we are thinking about. And then he pulled himself out of the running for at least a bit. Yeah. Does that mean they're just like, fuck it, we got to move on? And it's like, is he just overly confident? Is he getting bad advice? Like, how the fuck do you let this happen to yourself twice? (laughs) And and that's not even counting his missing out on Top Gun and MI7 and 8. Like, wow. Uh, Yeah, because I was going to say, I just drafted a tweet last night of um, the, uh, if if you look at, any role that Holt is up for, whoever gets it's going to turn into a career best performance, right? <laughs> you got Miles Teller as Rooster. That's probably not maybe like his best, but it's, probably, it's definitely going to be I got mo- most well known. Rob yeah. Pattinson as Batman. This guy in Mission Impossible seems to be pretty good. So like, 
you know, <laughs> it bodes yeah. well for Superman at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I really like both the scars guards, uh, too. I was looking, there's a pretty big age difference between both of them. Like yeah. 10 years or 10, so. 10 years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess. It's and just... one clearly has like an elitist look while mm-hmm. the other looks like a gremlin. Creepy. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Nicholas Holt, I, I would say is a little more in between. I, right. I almost exactly. think of yep. Nicholas Holt as like, he looks like he would have been, if he was a little younger, maybe the Lex Luthor on like Smallville or something like he would fit into that cast. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be discussing episode two of Secret Invasion. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Secret Invasion Episode 2. I thought this was a market improvement over the premiere. But before we dive into the episode itself, I want—I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why is Samuel Jackson seemingly the only actor on Earth that can be successfully de-aged? And conspiracy <laughs> theorists, please do not reply to this. But yeah, I like that opening 1995 scene. And I found it strange that it wasn't in the premiere because it... yeah. It gives you a bit more contextual history of why Fury and why we should care about the Skrulls, who are characters that were have only really been used in Captain Marvel, which I would suggest is one of the least rewatched Marvel films. Yeah, they're technically in all of Spider-Man Far From Home with Nick Fury being a scroll oh, that whole movie, yeah. but who, who cares? You don't know right. that until the last... 30 seconds in the movie. Yeah, the uh I, I genuinely was not like I looked down in a way when the, the title card comes up with the the year. Oh, and so yeah, I yeah. looked up, I was like, why does he look so young? I like I genuinely was so fucking confused. I'm like, is Nick Fury or is Samuel Jackson just way younger than I ever? <laughs> Have I been crazy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I rewound it. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, like that's it's really impressive what they're able to do with him. And you're right, like you compare him to Harrison Ford, like there's a stark difference. And I know there's a bigger age difference probably the, between what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but there is a little bit more of a waxy look to Harrison Ford, at least from the trailers I've seen. Oh yeah. Um, and Samuel Jackson just looks like young Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really amazing. impressive. All right. So that aside, let's dive into the episode itself, which I think was sort of a case against and for why Marvel tried to put out the word that this is, there and or and it sometimes succeeds in that sense and it sometimes fails in that sense and that sense being you could tell that this show is trying to be a conversation with powerful people in quiet rooms show which is how game of thrones made its bones for years so it's like yes this is a fantasy show but where the drama comes from is just people talking and you could tell that that is the vibe that this show is going for and i think this episode contains both the good and bad versions of that. The bad version being the scene between Fury and Talos on the train. The good version being the scene between Fury and Cheadle at the bar. One feels like it's stuck in like narrative quicksand because it's simply trying to like exposition MCU lore and trying to tell us how we got here, how the scrolls literally got here, which is a 
like a writing sin. They are telling, not showing when you're supposed to show and not tell. Mm -hmm. So that is the bad example of this show trying to be and or. The good example, Fury and Rhodes, is two characters that we've spent years with and have literally seen bleed in this universe talking about real shit. Mm -hmm. And so in that, so in that moment, Secret Invasion was like, okay, I get it. I get mm -hmm. what they're going for here. And I think that there's proof that this theory could be applied to the series as a whole. If you look at the scene between Fury and Maria Hill's mom, I found that to be particularly strong. Mm -hmm. But then the scenes between Kingsley Benadir and Amelia Clark, I found to be flat and dull. I'm checked out during those scenes. Which leads me to the conclusion that this show struggles whenever a scroll is on screen which is obviously <laughs> a problem which, which is obviously a problem for this story and the reason for that is what what i touched on on the top this is an entire species that were really only featured in captain marvel mm -hmm. that is not a movie that a lot of people have watched more than once so the show finds itself trying to bridge the gap and fast forward was here are the scrolls here's why you should care about them but the fact is we don't have the time spent and we don't connect to them. And that is what I think is going to be the general vibe of this show going forward is that when it has human characters that we spend time with going toe to toe, trading intellectual and emotional barbs, it's going to be strong. But when it's trying to do those same things with scrolls or scrolls and humans, it just doesn't have that same oomph to it. Yeah, it's interesting to hear the like talking about scrolls is scary seeing the scrolls isn't scary right that's really interesting like you the nick fury's whole thing is like we've been worried about people invading us now we don't even know who is invading us I and mean, like the idea that someone is going to basically take over from the inside all of these scrolls are going to shapeshift into political leaders and then just destroy everything that's fucking like cool as shit <laughs> and um especially when uh, Rhodey is like, well, should we call the Avengers in? And Nick Fury's like, absolutely not, because then they will shapeshift into the Avengers and they will turn them into terrorists. Which may be the MCU's best ever, why aren't the yeah. Avengers here yeah. excuse of all time. Absolutely. Every time they do it, I'm like, really? Are you sure about that? Yeah. But at this point, it was like, okay, I get that. Yeah. If you're trying, like, because the whole thing is like, we're keeping this under wraps. The world does not know there's an alien invasion right now. Right. So if you call in the Avengers, the world's going to know. And then it turns into fucking everything is falling apart. So yeah, I really love that layer of like, there is a war happening under the surface, quite literally under the skin, right? It's like really interesting. But like you said, when you start showing me the scrolls in this fucking meat locker fighting, I don't care. Like some of the action was cool. They were throwing guys on meat hooks. I was like, that's kind of cool to see since Marvel usually kind of reels it in a bit, but right. Uh, that was the one thing where I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, Oh, you slit that guy's throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I will say the one thing that I'm like directly related to the scrolls that I'm really interested in is this, how they're getting around not using the fantastic four. Cause usually how they create the super scrolls. Um, which are these like the big powers and uh, people have mentioned on Twitter, but there's a, a computer screen that you see of like Groot on the screen and extremists, which is the Iron Man three, like suicide oh. bombers. Yep. Um, yep. Basically the idea is they, they use all of these things. They pull the DNA off these things and they fuse it together to create the ultimate 
villain. And usually what they use is Fantastic Force powers. They use Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, the thing, and Johnny Storm to create these big, super-powered uh, creatures. Um, and so the idea that the Fantastic Four aren't relevant yet, so they're using characters that have been on Earth but are maybe even extraterrestrial and using that to create enhanced aliens is, is pretty interesting. And then one more thing I want to point out about the bad, uh, i.e. the scene between Talos and Fury. What the fuck was up with that Southern accent? I don't know. I Am saw I losing you, my I mind? Have they tweet. ever implied that he's like a deep Southerner? I don't know. Dude, did, he went out of nowhere, you know, is? back in my day down yeah. in Alabama. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that always sunny clip cracked me up. Uh, what, what does he say? <laughs> the, oh, oh, my God. I'm trying to remember what he says. The fucking. Um, you might want to start driving because she called the cops on us. Why is he talking like that? Well, Wildcard over here decided to lose his mind. I say, I say, I say. That's it. <laughs> it just felt like I thought that the, you know, the. Okay, so because Samuel is such a good performer, I was compelled, but it literally being the screenwriting manifestation of tell don't show where fury literally says we're gonna play a game called tell me something i don't know yeah tell me something that i don't know about the main plot of this show and <laughs> deliver come me some on. exposition yeah come on yeah it was uh it was pretty weird i don't <laughs> i don't understand it uh i do appreciate that we are seeing more nick fury because he's always just been a guy to give orders right give context he's never really outside of maybe a little bit in captain marvel and just tiny bits here and there, but like seeing him mourn and grieve and feel guilt, I think is really impressive. I think he's showing the the weight of this um, war is on his shoulders. I mean, he's always been this guy that has been like kind of like Tony Stark cursed with knowledge, right? Where he has this knowledge that there are larger threats that the world doesn't know about. And he has to keep that at bay and not let it affect the world. And then infinity war happens and it's almost like a failure on his part. Right. And now his more personal failure is losing Maria Hill and having to tell his her uh, mom. So before we move on to the next big beat, is there anything that you want to touch on that you noted as an improvement from one to two? Shooter McGavin. Is he in this? Yes, he's uh, the Fox News oh, right. parody yeah, yeah, host yeah. that is also a scroll. <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> that is good. That is good. But do you find yourself at least a bit on board now or is this yeah. still like a chore? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I found the first episode to be very boring up until Dang. probably the last five minutes. And, and this one, there were some dull moments, but I think as a whole, it is selling me and getting into the weeds that I was way more interested in. I don't care about big flashy battles when we have 10 plus years of that in the Marvel universe. I want And to when see you have fucking Ben Mendelsohn, Samuel Jackson, Livia Coleman, Don Cheadle, Kingsley Benadire, Amelia Clark, just let him fucking cook. Yes, absolutely. Cook. And I'm hoping that we are on an upward trajectory and not yeah. stalling out because I think that could lead yeah. to something pretty impressive. All right. The next big thing I want to talk about is uh, Rhodey. Oh, seemingly clearly a scroll. He says, if um, I don't know the exact country, but if he says, like, if Slovakia looks at me wrong again, I'm going to carpet bomb them. Yeah. And then you combine that with how sort of heavy handedly he fires Fury, who's literally trying to warn him, like, hey, 
heads up, there are alien spies everywhere. And he's like, Mm -hmm. get the fuck out. You're fired. Why are they being so heavy handed about this Rhodey scroll twist? Unless they're doing the bait and switch, but I don't have any proof that the show is smart enough to be doing that. The only thing I could possibly think is there is somebody Rhodey knows that is a scroll that he cares about. And that would be the only other thing that, and I think the the only Pepper thing. Pops. Period. Yeah, maybe I fucking knows. You know, like yeah, like who knows? Yeah, fucking Tony Stark's baby, <laughs> his little girl. Um, yeah, she's a halfsy. She, she's a half blood. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I. I that's. I don't think we really know anything else about his personal life to have someone else that could come in from there to to kind of be like, oh shit, that guy. or that Because guy. that's like the thing of this arc, right? It's like, you'll never believe what hero has been a scroll the whole time. And you right. know that's going to happen in the show. And I'm just curious, like, what does that sort of twist mean to you? And is it dependent on how long they pulled the wool over your eyes? Now, I'm not saying that they planned it since Age of Ultron, but I've been right. seeing this thing going around that in the background of a scene, you could see Rhodey drinking Thor's like, god shot which is supposedly not meant for human consumption this is a very grainy screenshot type thing and Mm -hmm. i doubt that they were planning this then but like for me it's they have to do a lot of retroactive work to make this Mm -hmm. twist sell i'm talking you know his conversations with tony stark need to now be tainted because Mm -hmm. he's scroll that's that's how this works if you tell me he's been a scroll post endgame i don't give a fuck yeah, it would really suck if it's just like Rhodey's trapped in a basement somewhere and right, this guy's exactly. a scroll. It would be it, it would need to be a he's been like this the whole time. Exactly, thing. exactly. Um it, the the only other person that I guess I could believe is Samuel Jackson in some capacity. Like there's something going on. Like I don't know how, but like I mean, he was literally hanging out with them <laughs> at right. the end of Far From Home. He's been with them for the last several years. So like right. it's plausible that. When he came back down, that wasn't him. But I don't, I don't know how they would do that. Um, but so, yeah, what you know? How are you feeling about that kind of twist? Would it hit for you? And what do you need for it to work? It's, it's, it's so like it's kind of like what you said. You can't. You'd have to like do the fucking corny thing when a twist is revealed, and they do. Like, you know quick, what they'd have to do? The, the past. Sorry, Cade, and then you'll you'll go next. They'd have to do the far from home thing, where they show Jake Gyllenhaal like in the uh, background of like various yeah, sure. moments yeah, yeah, yeah. to a less corny degree. That's but exactly that is essentially what they yeah. have to do. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Where you kind of flash to previous moments, and they're like, they were always there. Yeah. But you, I mean, that moment, like Jake Gyllenhaal was inserted after the fact into civil war but um if they could find a way to be like yeah we did always know that would be like i would be like major props but i can't fault them for not thinking of course not that many years ahead especially but i but i need them to figure out a way to pretend like they did for it to work for me yes i can't i can't get on board with the fact that this was something they only came up with and it's only relevant to right now because otherwise it doesn't it doesn't feel as uh urgent yeah all right and then the final thing i want to touch on the episode ends on this which suggests that it is a big narrative point nick fury's wife is a scroll yeah i am bringing this up for two reasons the first of which being that the show ends on that so it obviously wants you to take that into deep 
consideration. The other which I saw a tweet saying, oh, so Fury been getting that scroll seat for a while now. <laughs> yeah, no, as soon as I saw the wedding ring come out, I'm like, oh, she's a scroll. Like, that's yeah. the narrative. Like, just from like a screenwriting perspective, you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to reveal some history about uh, Nick Fury for the first time ever. And if there's nothing amiss about it in this show, all about secrets and conspiracies. Yeah, yeah. that bitch is a fucking scroll. <laughs> all right, Cade, any final thoughts here? No, I, I, all, all in all, I think uh, stark improvements, and I hope they continue. Pun intended. Uh, yes, pun intended. <laughs> to to continue this upward trajectory, because I think it could be one of the better Disney Plus shows if they continue the trajectory that they're going in. And it's like you feel like they have an ace up their sleeve still with both Coleman and Clark, right? Like they are clearly setting something dramatic to go down with both of those. Yeah. Characters. Do, do you think Maria Hill is really dead? Because well, she could be the scroll. I have been seeing reports that she's in the Marvels. The problem is, I don't <laughs> care enough about the character to give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter to me either. Um, <laughs> I don't care. And I would find her being like, oh, she's alive. Super lame. So that'd be I would worse than just her killing her. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. like, just let me have the moment of like, oh, that is kind of sad. At least I like Nick Fury and I don't like seeing him sad. So that's why that works as opposed right. to the loss of Maria Hill on its own it's the impact it has on the characters around her that's more uh important so if you undo that completely then it's like i really i just don't fucking care (laughs) you've Um, done nothing all right so that's going to do it for our recap and review of episode two of secret invasion and also going to wrap up our podcast for the week make sure to follow myself at eric underscore ital and the podcast at postgred pod please also follow us on instagram and tiktok as i've been trying to grow those platforms Follow my boy Cade, Cade underscore Onder, and all of his fantastic work at comicbook.com. I saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny a couple weeks ago. Cade is going to be seeing it next week. So in addition to Secret Invasion Episode 3, we'll be talking a bit of Dial of Destiny and whatever else might pop up between now and then. All right, y'all. Talk to you next week. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 